0: Hello, this is another recording of the Adelaide Entrepreneur Club podcast. This is part two of Sven, who we met on day 213 of our journey of meeting someone every day. Uh, On part one, I remember saying that uh, when we interviewed Sven, he uh, recorded our conversation, which was uh, wonderful because it was such great information. So this is part two, and I hope you
1: enjoy it. So and that's kind of where this whole journey really went deep. Um, And so what I basically do now is I use a systematically approach to dealing with emotions called emotional logic to actually deal with your emotional turmoils and move that conversation from feelings and emotions to purpose, identity and values.
0: Right.
1: And, um, you know, and that's what I want to bring in because that tool is the one thing that was missing when my life fell apart. Okay, to be able to systematically approach my situation and actually try to understand what is really happening to me. Okay, this question of, okay, one of the core questions of emotional logic is, so what have you lost? What are you afraid of losing? You know, and initially, as I said, like, I could very quickly, because this was where I had these three things suddenly in my hand when I was first introduced to emotional logic. So I had these three big things, my worldview, my family, and my career plan. And, um, but the idea is to now question, okay, with losing your worldview, what have you lost? Okay, so, and then you go deeper, and you'd actually try to name losses in small, in small bits that are actionable. So you you, you you find losses that you actually have control over that you can do make changes for, right? Yeah. You know, and that's the stuff that I didn't have. I just you know I was just overwhelmed. I put it all away and I was traumatized. So for twenty nine wow. years, you know, I had no feelings about the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Wow. There was no emotion attached to that. And again, you know, it was Bernie Brown's uh, talk vulnerability, uh, the power of vulnerability, where she basically says you can't selectively feel. You you either feel sadness and joy or you just don't feel. That's right. Yeah, we (laughs) like feelings, Mm. no. And it's like, uh, oh, wow. So for me, that became quite apparent. Like, okay, I've probably been traumatized. And, uh, but yeah, so, you know, what I want to help people with. And Corona is quite funny because COVID-19 did something very similar to the world than what the Berlin Wall did to me into to the nation that I lived in, because basically overnight, nothing was where it used to be. Right, mm, yes, yes. <laughs> Nothing that we used to think we can do was able, we were able to do. Um, so the whole system got shaken up, you know, and, yep. and, um, and I see similar patterns in how the world tries to deal with that. That I have seen around the Berlin, fall of the Berlin war, where initially everybody's like, "Yeah, freedom, the opportunities. Finally, we can change everything, and we can just go <laughs> and and you know create this new world that we always desired. Now that everything is shaken up, we have that opportunity to make everything new." And I thought at some point, I was like, mm, "Yeah, that happened when the Berlin Wall fell." Right. Mm-hmm. Took about three months. Until people were in the streets mm. fighting for things that they were so accustomed to, and so that was normal to be preserved, to be to be stay in place. You know, suddenly people standing again in the streets and fighting for the status quo, and that's mm. why I called these last three months a honeymoon period.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Okay. So it's yes. a honeymoon period. We see the opportunity. We see that, wow, it unleashes us, it gives us freedom, it gives us freedom to think, it gives us freedom to envision and see things in a new way. But we don't what we don't anticipate in doing so is the whole question of what do we have to leave behind in order to go there. Right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And And that I think is where people really start struggling now because now suddenly we notice, okay, our economy is not going to stay as it is. Um, you know, people already losing their jobs in a, in, in big, in big ways that happened back in East Germany too. Um, and you know, and the process is not happening in a year or in, in a few months that we thought it would, you know, but it will take years. And really, if you go to Germany now, you will still feel the divide between East and West Germany. Really? Mm. Okay, so there's still, there's still the cultural differences. Um, actually, what happened in East Germany, and that's why, why I'm so strongly trying to push this forward, is I went to a holiday over Christmas, and I met so many people because I was now confident telling my story and, and just going to people about this. And then I realized, like, my parents don't want to talk about that. My wife's parents don't want to talk about that. Mm. Um, the friends that I met and told them, they told me, like, my parents don't want to talk about that. Mm. So I suddenly realized, it's like, wow, you know, it's not just me who have had an awakening, but also a deep trauma that I was hidden so deeply away, you know, that I suddenly find out it was just just me or my parents or my family. It seems to me right now it's like everybody was so deeply traumatized that we have never dealt with the emotional shock that we went through. Right. And, And that's kind of for the older generations now so deep in that for them, the fall of the Berlin Wall just built a big wall and they do not want to go with their thinking ever to the time before. For mm. them, it's just, no, nope. my parents say like, it's done. We left it behind and we don't want to talk about this. Mm. Okay. So while the Berlin Wall fell, immediately loads of walls have been built up. Mm. So, you know, and... That's kind of what I want to prevent. I want to prevent that we suddenly have a global society that grows up, grows old, and in the end just tries to forget the life before Corona. Tries to forget everything, you know, because we had pandemics before, but we had never one that shook a system like that. (laughs)
0: Mm.
1: Okay. And
0: um, so, out of curiosity, when you said back, when the, the Berlin Wall went down and people were fighting over things that that they tried to maintain. What's an example of that? What was things that they had to leave behind that that caused?
1: Well, the, the economy was basically not up for a capitalist um, environment. So companies that employed tens of thousands of people because everything was well, or less handmade um, in a, in a in a western society, you know machines would do most of the job, so you would yeah. run the same company with a few hundred right yes. okay Okay, the other thing was kind of big companies um i mean there were some products even being exported internationally to a high quality standard so size with the lenses for instance um or the there's a camera that was kind of a uh or an as a SLR camera um, called Practica, which was kind of fairly cheap, but it was a really good quality. so if you just talk to people in in here in, in England you know if I like "Do you remember Practica? Yes, that was an awesome camera, you know because <laughs> it was cheap, but it was awesome yeah. and I said, did you know that it was actually produced in East Germany? <laughs> like oh, no, but mm. companies like that you know suddenly the question was like, okay, we need investors who just take over those companies and basically make them fit for purpose. But then those companies that wanted to take over came, looked at the state of the actual factory and just said like, even if you give me the whole thing, it's too expensive for me to even make something out of that. Right, okay, yeah. So so basically loads of companies who wanted to who were thinking of taking over some of those big ones just said like, it's not worth it. We have mm-hmm. to demolish everything and rebuild it. That's kind of like building a new factory somewhere. <laughs> you know, and for it was just not viable for many of those companies. Mm-hmm. So in the end, you know, tens of thousands of people lost their job. Millions right. of people lost their job. I think that there was an unemployment rate at some point of about 30%. Wow. You know, and you have to imagine before, we all had a secure job. We all knew we're not, yeah. never going to leave our job. We're never going to lose our job. There's no chance that I lose well, my job. You know, that just didn't happen. Yeah.
0: So we can actually look back in history and see how things are like. We can look back in history to some degree and see how th- this future might play out. Because it's, you know, it's, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's just one thing, you know, then of course, cheap housing and stuff like this. So suddenly everybody was afraid that these rich people from the West will just come and just take over all this stuff. And in the end we have to pay a lot of money for stuff. And, but that's what is needed. You know, if you want to move Mm -hmm. into a more capitalist movement, that's part of that, but we didn't like it. And people didn't like it. They just went on the streets and started fighting and demonstrating and, Mm -hmm. you know, and of course, call the Chancellor of West Germany at the time, uh, you know, I mean, he was a crazy guy. <laughs> There's a lot of history we don't know that just comes out now, how he actually managed to get the allies to agree on the reunification of Germany. Right. Okay, because he started Russia. We went to Gorbachev and found out that the Soviet Union at the time had about three months of cash. Oh well. Wow. And then they would have been bankrupt. So Gorbachev told him that and said, like, I we need high like, I can't remember the exact number, but a few billions, um, in order to keep Soviet Union running. And then Cole said to him, I said, like, hey, yeah, we can make it happen. We can give you the money. and then, like, then Gorbachev was like, Yeah, but only if you agree on the reunification of Germany. That's no, right. So so that was the first one, you know. And then he went to the French, and then the French, you know, the French said, like, well, you know, we want to create this currency in, in Europe, European currency. So if you support us with that, then you can have your arena you know, you can fight Germany. Okay, let's go ahead. <laughs> you know? Okay. But the Americans were basically um, a bit shocked because one day, Cole basically stood in front of the Bundestag, which is the government, the parliament in Germany, and basically made a speech that the Americans didn't know he would make. And before every speech that was spoken in uh, from from the government in in the parliament would have been read and approved by the Allies. Yes. Okay. So suddenly. <laughs> The president of the United States finds out through the news what Kohl just said.
0: And he basically
1: presented to the German government a 10-step plan to the reunification of Germany. Oh, wow. (laughs) So in the end, the Americans said yes. Um, I think for them, the NATO was the most important thing. The one person that he never talked to was Thatcher. Okay. And I found now out that Britain was absolutely under no circumstances for reunification of Germany. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. So in the end, they were just forced to go ahead because mm. of, under the pressure of the other allies. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. It's quite crazy mm. stories. This is yes. Interesting. Yes, yeah, yeah. It is interesting. So
0: from your, your background then, what do you see at a curiosity, um, that people might have to leave behind during this period. Have you, you've got any view on, on that out of curios- curiosity, Sven?
1: I think we, we, um, I find, find a lot of ideas going around very interesting. Uh, one of the things is that we definitely need kind of a systematic restructuring. Um, so we need to change a system in a in whole now, Of course, I have been in another system. Okay. And um and I don't want to go back there. Yeah.
0: -hmm. So realize that one.
1: Yes. (laughs) And yet I noticed there is a big fear of communism in it in general, uh, because again, of misinformation. There's an indoctrination on both sides. Okay, so people think that we never had food and we never had anything. That's simply not true, you know. <laughs> not not yeah. in East Germany at least. But yeah. um you know, but also we were told I always get told like, Oh, you lived in a communist country, and it's like, Hmm. No, in my world I lived in a socialist country. And they're very different things. Yeah. I think so so you know, we need a systematic change. I think humanity has come to a place where we realize humans actually matter. Yeah. Okay. Um, And um, we need to look out for each other. We need to look out for each other's well-being. So, in a kind of of, economy, place of workplaces, so far, what we have been doing is we adopted the slavery model in the way we treated employees. Okay, yeah. so we started with just, you have no rights. And then over the years, they got more and more rights. But it was yeah. always a leadership model of, you do what I tell you. Yeah. Yes. But okay. yeah. so that has never changed. And I yeah. think we have reached a point where there is a change that can dramatically happen. We need to screw that leadership model that is based on slavery ideas. Yeah and replace it with a model where where we have learned to really learn, get to know each other, where we connect with each other, where we have relationship with each other, where we respect and appreciate each other, and where leaders become people who know who should lead. Mm. Okay, so where the leader is the person who keeps it, holds it together, who takes the responsibility, but who's not actually saying where we're going necessarily, but who's going to the team and says like, okay, so this is the issue we have. And then, you know, identifies the right person within his team who has the strengths and the right um, capacity to take leadership into the next stage. And then, and we all go with it. Um, So, And I've I've been talking about like, for me, there are two leadership models, only two, you know, there are people that tell me like, there are loads of them. I said like, well, if I tell you my two, you probably believe me that there are two. Because there's either you have a team or you are one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And, and I think that's the transition we need to make. We have to make the transition where we are teams and where it doesn't really matter who says what and when and how? Uh, where it really matters? Hey, really, the achievement, we want to achieve something together, And that's kind of what the leader what the role of the leader, my point should be is keeping the focus, this is where we want to go, this is what we want to achieve. this is where we, where we want to be. How we get there is something that the whole team yes. creates together. You know, So in my time in the army, I did the first time in uh, 1999 when I did, uh, I was at the army at the time and they they asked me to do training with the recruits, the new ones. And I had never done that before. But one of the things was I was not the kind of leader who could stand in front of people and just shout at them and kind yeah. of humiliate them all the time, you know? Yeah. And I just knew if I tried to keep this up, I was already four years of the army and I knew, you know, recruits look through this. They just say like, oh, you know, he's just shouting at us because he has nothing to say at home. <laughs> okay. And, and things like this. And I just knew like, okay, there's n- I, I don't want to try to project something that they just look through and then I lose them completely because then it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> so I made the decision. I'm like, no, I'm going to go in there. And I make make a few statements. So I walked into my room the first day. I said, okay, number one, I don't have a platoon. We are one. I'm part of this. Okay, so I don't want you to see me as I'm just showing, shoveling you around all the time. That's not the point. We are in it together. And I want just to walk together. Number two, I need your input. So if we have a brief and we have the time, we check things through and I you know, we we look through things. Somebody notices, for instance, I look at the map and look in the wrong direction, or something like this. I want you always stand up and say, like, hey, look here, this is just you hold the map wrong, or I think there's a easier idea to do this. How about we go there and how it is no? And I said, like, so I always want your input because together we're stronger. We will definitely have more. We can do more together. You know, the third one was, um, you know, if you have a problem, talk to me. I gave them my mobile phone number at the time. I said like, you know, and things like this. So anyway, what came out of this is that I was the weakest link of all the, of the troop leader, the platoon leaders, but my platoon was the second best after the training.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. The guys yeah. loved
1: me. The guys loved me. They loved me around. And actually other people from other platoons came to me when they had problems. But Of course, I had to send them away. But, you know, you could just see like, oh, wow, this was really cool. This yeah. was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: We probably need to go. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> no, it's been love, love your story. Um, it's just been amazing. Um, I just noticed you've been recording it. <laughs> Yeah, so I was just wondering if it's all right. Like, it's totally up to you. Like, the audio of this would be just incredible. Like, we um, we run an event called the Adelaide Entrepreneur Club where we live, and since shutdown, we've sort of trend moved into recording podcasts. Um, and we've had we've been making podcasts of people around Adelaide, and then on our journey, we've been making podcasts of some of the people we meet. Um, yeah, and I just noticed you're recording it I'm, you know, it's totally up to you. But if you want to share this with us, I'd love to turn this into a, in the, it'd have to be two podcasts, <laughs> but it, cause it's just some great information you shared, but I'll leave that up to you. Like that's up to you. No, I'm you happy.
1: I'm, I'm happy to share. That's what I do. It's one of the things I do is as, as a motivation speaker, I want to share my story. Okay. Oh, cool. Um, so that's most definitely one of the things that because be I want to inform people. Okay. I yeah. want to inform people. I have gone through all this and I realized there's so much value and we need yeah. to share it with other people. No, I definitely can send it over.
0: When right. we hear great stories, we just have the urge to share. Like it's just, mm. you know, I don't want to sit here and listen to this and go, man, I don't want to be the only one that I know listens to this. Mm. Like There's other people yeah. that need to listen to this.